You know, <clears throat> the process of coming up with a sermon or a sermon series it is a really odd experience. It's kind of a, it's this, it's this supernatural gumbo when, it, when it's working right. It involves obviously prayer and asking God where he wants us to go. It involves Bible study and scripture reading. It involves observation and conversation with different people. There's, there's spirit-led brainstorming that happens. And, and then there are just things that hit out of the blue where you just know God wants this word, this, this message communicated. This series that we started last week called Forged is a prime example of this odd process. Late last year, my bride, Julie, and I began to notice a trend in, in, in our orbit, in, in the friends that we have. There were just a lot of people who were, who were really struggling, really going through difficult difficult seasons. Some of them were close, close friends or family even. Some of them were distant acquaintances. We, we knew about members of the church and people in the community, and it just kind of all seemed to be coming in a wave, at least in, in our little world. And then in a completely unrelated event, right around Christmas time, I found the perfect gift to give to my best friends, the, the guys that I, I do life with the most. I was scrolling through Instagram one day and I discovered that, that Jesse James was making custom cigar ashtrays. Now, it just so happens, strangely enough, that my three best friends are huge cigar aficionados. I don't know how that happened. It's just kind of weird. But when I saw that this was happening, I immediately messaged Jesse and said, hey, can I get a few of those? He hit me back and he said, yeah, come on by the shop. His shop is not far from here. So when I went to the shop, not only did he have those ashtrays ready to go, he was actually in the process of making some more. And he goes, man, come here. It's, it's kind of cool to watch. I want you to watch this. You got some time? I said, yeah. Can I video? And so I pulled out my phone and started videoing Jesse James making cigar ashtrays. Watch this real quick. How cool is that? Right there, he's making the little notch where the cigar goes. with a crowbar.
Is that amazing? I got to tell you, when I was, I was blown away. It was like watching an artist sculpt or paint. This is the final product. Now, let me, let me tell you a little bit about this, Asher. You are not going to find this at your local smoke shop. You notice when Jesse put a stamp in the middle of it after he had pressed it down, that's his, his little stamp. I don't know if you can get a close-up enough of this. You probably can't see it, but it says, pay up, sucker. That's kind of his motto. And then when he flipped it over on the table and stamped it again, he put his name in the inside of it. Let, let me tell you a little bit about what this hunk of burning love went through. This thing started out as a 35-pound cylinder of stainless steel. He took that cylinder put it into his forge, which was heated to 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, and left it in there for 15 minutes until it became a smoking white hot piece of molten stainless steel. Then he put it under that big old pneumatic hammer. This thing is so heavy. I'm not kidding. I mean, come here. Feel, you're a big boy. Feel how heavy that is. That thing's legit, isn't it? Nobody's going to steal it either. They, like, come and pick that up and go, no, I'm going to leave that. But it was in that moment, as I pulled away from Jesse's shop after what I had just witnessed, that, that I believe the Holy Spirit kind of brought together that experience with the fall that we had experienced with all of these friends in our orbit. And I realized Forged is the series God wants us to do. This is what needs to happen because what I had just witnessed in the physical realm, perfectly parallels what God does in the spiritual realm as he forges our faith, as he forges our, our character and our integrity. And it's this process that we're in the middle of examining and exploring over the next few weeks. We started last week, and if you were here, you'll remember that we decided we were gonna use as our guide through this series the biblical historical account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Found in Daniel chapter 3, specifically their encounter with the fiery furnace of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, just as a little quick background, if you weren't here last week or if you weren't watching online, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jewish young men who were living under Babylonian captivity along with Daniel because the nation of Israel had splintered into two kingdoms. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And this division of the kingdoms was really the beginning of the end of the power of Israel as a kingdom, as a nation. And it was against this backdrop that King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had come in and besieged Jerusalem and taken things out of the temple and taken the best and the brightest that Israel had to offer back to Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And it was there that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, along with Daniel, rose up through the ranks and were handpicked by Nebuchadnezzar himself, Daniel to be a, an aide or a consultant to the king, but he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be the governors of the province of the city-state of Babylon itself. And it was in that context and in that setting that King Nebuchadnezzar built this massive idol out on the plain outside of Babylon. The Bible says that the idol was 90 feet tall by nine feet wide and covered in gold. And Nebuchadnezzar issued this decree that as soon as the musicians blasted on their instruments, everyone was to bow down to this idol. 
under the threat of death in the fiery furnace. And so that's the, the background, that's, that's the backdrop. But I want to go to a, a particular passage that we touched on last week because I think nowhere is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faithfulness in the face of the fire more clearly communicated than what they said to Nebuchadnezzar immediately before facing the fire of the furnace. Look at what they said in Daniel 3, 18. They said, now if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. You know, when I read that passage of scripture, that, that, that kind of, it kind of gets me a little bit fired up. There, there's a part of me that goes, yeah, you Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you go, boys. But then I, I immediately kind of think, what, what would my response have been? I know what I hope it would have been, but, but what, what's your response when you face the fire? And I think it's important as we continue this series and we look at their faithfulness in the fire that we understand that faithfulness did not just happen in the heat of the moment, if you'll pardon the pun. That faithfulness had been cultivated throughout their entire lives and literally throughout the history of Israel itself. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have understood exactly why Israel was in Babylonian captivity. It was specifically because of their faithlessness. You see, over and over again, Israel went through this, this cycle spiritually where they would in, enjoy the favor and the blessings of God. And in the midst of blessing and favor, they would, they would kind of forget that it was God who had, first of all, chosen them when he originally covenanted with Abraham and had been the one who carried them through out of Egyptian slavery, through the promised land, into the promised land, who had blessed them and flourished them and caused them to thrive. And the Israelites, see if this doesn't ring a bell, the Israelites would forget that God had done all of this for them and they kind of started to believe their own press clippings. They, they started to think, you know, we really are pretty much the baddest in the land. And, and then they would slowly but surely fall away from their faithfulness and they would begin to worship the, the gods and the idols of the land around them. And in their faithlessness, God over and over and over again would try to draw them back to him. He would, he would send prophets with warnings. He would, he would discipline like a loving father. And when all else failed, it was in that moment that God allowed Judah, the southern kingdom, to be taken captive in Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar. But there's a great, great principle at play here. And it's actually found in the very first verses of Daniel. If you go all the way back to Daniel chapter one, verses one and two, look at what the Bible says. This, this is how the Bible describes Judah being taken into Babylonian captivity. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his 
God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they were in Babylonian captivity precisely because Israel had been faithless earlier, that this was discipline from a loving God the Father, that this was God using this Babylonian captivity, this, this, this incredibly polytheistic, narcissistic King Nebuchadnezzar to discipline his people. Do you see what it said there? The Lord gave him victory. The Lord permitted him to take some of the sacred objects. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God's sovereignty feeds the fire of faithfulness in God's people. It's the sovereignty of God, the absolute authority of God that feeds the fire of our faithfulness when we face the fire, when we remember that God is always in control and God is always good. It is this dual memory of God's sovereignty and his goodness that we cling to when we face the fire. When we understand that we're getting ready to walk through the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was a literal fire. But isn't it true that in our lives, a lot of times the, the challenges, the hurts, the struggles, the pains, the illnesses that we face in this world can feel like literal fire? It, it can feel like we're going through something every bit as real as the fiery furnace that they faced 600 years before Christ walked the earth. And it's in those moments that we remember God is still God. He remains on the throne. He is still sovereign and he is still and always good. And so that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could, could look back into the eyes of the most powerful person on the planet at that moment in history and say, no matter what you do, whether God rescues us or not, we will not bow down to the idol. We will not obey your command. What happened next, I think it is an absolutely fascinating character study on Nebuchadnezzar. We don't have time to really dive into it, but watch what happens. Daniel chapter three, verse 19. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Nebuchadnezzar, when they, when they defied him, how many, how many of you are parents in the room? Can I see a show of hands if you're a mom or a dad? Have you ever had one of those moments where, where your kids just like snapped and you just kind of like, like you kind of get a little twitchy? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Go ahead and raise your, thank you, those of you being honest in church. You kind of like, you need, you need to go outside for your safety now. That's, Nebuchadnezzar was such, he was such a control freak. He, he had bought into all of the lies about his own deity. He could not believe somebody would defy him, especially for a God that he did not recognize. And he, he, his face became distorted with rage and he ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. I think it's important for us to remember in this moment, remember the, the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, and to remember when we face our fires that the heart of our Father 
The heart of our Father is unfazed by the heat of the fire. The heart of God doesn't wither in the face of increasing temperature. The heart of God remains constant. He remains vigilant. He remains loving. He remains sovereign. And he remains good. And so when you face a fire, maybe, maybe you're in the middle of one right now. I, listen, I've been there. I know what that feels like. I shared some of them with you last week, but I just know too much about who God is. I, I, at, at 52 years old, I've seen him work too many times to believe that he brings us all the way this far just to leave us hanging. He's too good. And I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. And, and, I, and I know that the heart of our Father is unfazed by the heat of the fire and, and he remains concerned. He remains engaged. He remains with us. He just simply remains. And, and so a lot of times, one of the most powerful things you can do in the middle of your fire is to worship, is to worship God. Just, just even if you don't feel like it, I think that that really warms the heart of God even more. When we worship him, whether we feel like it or not, when we say to God, God, I don't get it right now. I don't know what you're up to, but I trust you and I worship you. I think, I think God sees that expression of faith as really, really precious and valuable. It's one thing if we worship him when everything's going great. God, thank you for the promotion. This is awesome. The raise, the, oh, it's great. But when we hurt when we're in the middle of the fire. It's, it's kind of like when, when Julie and I have a disagreement as husband and wife, hypothetically. When, when Julie looks back at me and she says, I don't, I don't know what's going on in your brain right now. I'm assuming something, but I love you. And I, I want to get this worked out. When she says that in the middle of a disagreement, and, and when things are hard, and I'm kind of like, she's in it to win it, Jack. I mean, she, she's, she means that. If, if she really means that right now, <laughs> after I finished preparing a wonderful dinner, kissed her gently on the lips with a little sugar, and she says it then, that's one thing. But when we're in the middle of a disagreement, when she doesn't understand me, and that's exactly what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did right here. As the furnace was being heated, look at Daniel chapter three, verse 20. Then Nebuchadnezzar ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tired, tied, fell into the roaring flames. I think it's important that the Bible tells us this. I think it's important that the fact of God's faithfulness and the fact of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faithfulness, the fact of our faithfulness does not exempt us from the fire. That the, the fact that God is faithful to us the fact that I'm faithful to God, that doesn't exempt us. That doesn't mean that we won't encounter the fires. I think a lot of times when I face the fire, my, my initial reaction is, God, you gotta be kidding me. Did you, 
did you forget I'm a pastor? Why would, why would I? Or, or has anybody ever said, why me? I'm just curious. Am I the only one? Why me? And then I remember, that's right, he's, he's still sovereign and he's still good. And then I remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, 30, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have many trials and sorrows. This is from Jesus. You know, love and grace and forgiveness. He goes, you will have troubles. You will have sorrows. It's interesting that Jesus uttered those words immediately before he went to the cross. You, you want to talk about trial? You want, you want to talk about sorrow? Abandoned, betrayed by his closest confidants on the planet? On the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so, so Jesus knew what he was talking about. He, he knew that trials and sorrows are real. Jesus understood that, that this is a part of the human existence ever since Genesis chapter three. Ever since sin entered this world in that original exchange between husband and wife. We live in a fallen world as fallen people. That's part of the deal. See, that, that's, the, that's the consequence of sin. That's how deep and how profound the effects of sin are. That's why God gave his only son so that whoever believes in him Whoever follows him will never die, but will have eternal life. But in this world, you will have many problems. We're not exempt from the fire. But look at what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 24, Daniel chapter 3. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a god. Who's the fourth? Three went in, but there were four in the fire. Now, the original Hebrew which this was written in it is a little bit vague. We don't know if it was a son of the gods, like an angel, like a messenger. We don't know if it was the son of God, Jesus himself in the fire. But we do know that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, by the grace of a sovereign and a good God, did not walk through the fire alone. They didn't walk through the fire alone. A lot of times when you're, when you're hurting, isn't it, just, isn't it just incredible to have somebody there with you? Matter of fact, you don't want somebody who pretends to have a lot of answers, do you? You don't, you don't want somebody showing up and just, here's a scripture memory card, remember this. You, you, just, you just want a friend. You, you just want somebody to say, hey, I love you. 
I love you, you're not crazy, and you're not alone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not alone. In Christ, we never face the fire alone. We never face the fire alone. So when you're in the fire, that is when you hang on to Jesus. Now, we're gonna come back to this fourth figure next week in a little more detail. But what does it mean to, to hang on to Jesus? You, this, this hanging on to Jesus, this not being alone in the fire is because the, the Jesus thing, the, the Christian life is ultimately a relationship. It's not, it's not a religion. Religion will tell you that the way you go through the fire is you, you, just, you just buck up, kind of go British and, and keep a stiff upper lip. The world will tell you that the way you go through fire is you just avoid it at all costs. But the Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that we go through the fire clinging to our Savior, Jesus. We hang on to him with everything that we've got and we pray like we have never prayed before. We communicate with him. We share our heart when it hurts. We tell him when we're angry, respectfully, but we tell him. In Christ, we never face the fire alone. You remember that, that little verse that I read from John 16? I only read you the first half. Let me, let me go back to that and show you what Jesus said at the very end of that. He said, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, period. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You will have troubles and sorrows, but take heart. That, that word there, take heart, that means be courageous. Be encouraged. The word courage comes from the same Latin word that gives us heart. We're, we're enheartened. We are encouraged in Christ because he overcame the world when he rose from the dead. When Jesus Christ defied death and he subdued sin, in that moment, he established for all time both his sovereignty and his goodness. So that whatever fire we face, we know he is greater than. We know he has the power. He has the authority. He has the goodness to bring us through. I don't know necessarily where you are this morning. I don't know if you're in the midst of a fire or you've just come out of one. Maybe, maybe you kind of sense that there's one approaching No matter where you are, take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus is the one who sustains us in the midst of the fire, in this relationship. If you're here today and you've never stepped into that relationship, maybe for you, Jesus was about religion and 
keeping the rules and the, the regulations or observing the right rituals at the right time. But this idea of a relationship is a brand new thing to you. In just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to step into that relationship, to begin for real. You don't, have to, you don't have to pass a test. You don't have to have perfect attendance at church for six months. You, you just have to willingly choose to respond to the amazing grace of God. I want to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, for just a moment. And in this moment, if that's where you are today, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God. Silently in your own words, say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I trust you. I trust you for the forgiveness of my sin. And so I claim you as my Lord, as my Savior, and I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I have. Jesus, I'm holding nothing back. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, I want to ask you just to remain with your heads bowed for another moment. But it's really important for those of you who just stepped over that line of faith, who just prayed that prayer, that you understand this is the biggest moment of your life. And so as a family, we want to help with this moment, but also with what comes next. And so if you would, I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. First of all, If you would, just take out the program that you got when you came in today and open it up to the Connect card that's inside there. If you'll just start filling that out, that Connect card is a way for us to begin a conversation, a dialogue with you. Like I said, to help with, with what's next. You'll notice about a third of the way down, there's a place to indicate I, I committed my life to Christ this week. That's for you. And then once you've completed that card, you can tear it off along the fold, it's perforated there. And as you leave, just make sure that you hand that card to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, or you can drop it with one of the folks who will be at the hub underneath the big front porch out here. The second thing, just as we remain with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for another moment, the second thing is, I want to ask you, if that was your prayer, if you would just, just raise your hand, just quietly but, but unmistakably, raise your hand and lift it up as a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. Your response to the grace initiative of Jesus. And know that as a family, we celebrate that with you. 
Our family tradition is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're gonna put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.